Everybody, welcome to a special late night episode of Seaweed Brain, Percy Jackson podcast. It's Tuesday, September 26th at 11.17 p.m. Eastern Time. That is right. This is the day of release of the Chalice of the Gods, and we have just attended the virtual Chalice of the Gods book tour, which we will be recapping and discussing this evening. No spoilers for the Chalice of the Gods, but spoilers for the book tour. Stay tuned. Welcome, everyone. My roommate is asleep. <laughs> I am emotionally drained from witnessing tonight's book tour. Also, my name is Erica, joined today, as always, by my co-host, Carter. Hi. It's just the two of us today. Yeah, it's just us. Um, we, if you were been following along, this is a pivot. We were going to do chapter one tonight, but then I found out that the Seattle book tour stop had virtual access, so we hopped on there. And we watched the whole thing. And now we're going to talk about it in great detail. And I also yeah. apologize in advance. If you're listening to this episode before like 8 p.m. tomorrow, so like before 8 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, September 27th, I'm literally not going to edit this at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're listening to completely unedited version. I promise I'm going to get home from work and like edit it and then re-upload it. But I wanted it to be uploaded in case anybody was feeling FOMO like I was feeling FOMO from not being there in person. Um Carter, didn't you have fun? Oh, I had a lot of fun. Rip also <laughs> clearly was having a lot of fun. He Rip was always has fun. Riffing. He was off the cuff. He was yeah. doing character voices up the wazoo. He really went for it. There were some <laughs> high quality voice cracks. There were some good long stretches where he was just doing these, yeah, like <gasps> super nasal That is my uncle. impressions of someone. <laughs> that is literally Uncle Rick. The origins of Uncle Rick were addressed tonight, even. Um, yes. We, people ask some really good questions. I have yeah. to say, the quality of questions was high. And yeah. we answers to a lot of kind of longtime fan questions. Things oh, like, yeah. when are we getting the Myth and Magic card game? Questions like, why do people call you Uncle Rick? Questions like, who was your least favorite POV to write in? The answer was Apollo. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite myth? Which monster? Why don't the demigods have DNA? <laughs> yeah, what happens when a demigod takes an ancestry test? Um. <laughs> Very exciting stuff. Also, like the framework of this was, it was set up. There was a beautiful introduction um, from this uh, the woman who was hosting here at the Seattle Arts and Letters, right? That's what it was called. Um, and then there was a beautiful uh, young poet named Charlotte, I didn't catch her last name, who delivered such a stunning poem about like the fleetingness of youth and like transitioning from childhood into teenagerdom. Um, it was so stunning, reminded us both of the great venerable Sarah Kay, um, yeah. who we grew up with. Um, who we grew up with, who I'm still thinking about constantly. <laughs> all the time. Uh, if you guys don't know who Sarah Kay is, maybe because we're old, we'll link some of her very famous YouTube videos. I think um, you should start with... Um, probably point b and the type i would imagine i think about the type constantly literally what it's like to be constantly. one of those girls who a man will will curl himself into a question, into a mark, question around mark around you around you i think about that line all the time um okay <laughs> Yes. So then uh, there was an intro. There was a beautiful poem. Um, the woman who was introducing Rick, like, literally started to cry. Fully crying. Fully, yeah, was like, these books mean a lot to people. I 
I'm for, I'm trying to remember. I think she told like a brief story about a child's personal relationship with the books yeah. or something and was like moved to tears. Yeah. Like my dad used to bring too. me to these events and now I'm bringing my dad to them. Or like my dad introduced yeah. me to these books and now I'm bringing my dad tonight. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Rick came out slaying a Britney mic, um, a little headset. That was great. Um, also, the live stream quality overall, I just want to shout out Seattle Arts and Letters. It was excellent. Yeah. Really well done. Technical. Strong like, no, AB. Yeah. No difficulties, multiple angles. Absolutely stunning. We got like the whole PowerPoint like shown to us, you know. Um, yes. It was hooked up. Um, we set up the premise of the book. We all know, you know, it's about the mm-hmm. – um, what Percy's after the chalice. Um, yes. We got some new fan art in addition to the old fan art. Like they gave us the Ganymede image that's been circulating around social Can media, which, um, well. Carter, please say something without <laughs> saying anything that's going to get us canceled. This is Carter um, thinking really hard about what to say that's not going to get us canceled. <laughs> I just feel like I had a strong mental image of Ganymede, and this was not it. Um, And that there, I think, was, I think that the problem perhaps is multiple artistic visions that were fundamentally incompatible and incongruous that were not sort of separated out and prioritized such that we had one idea that is clear and succinct and also like culturally resonant about what we're doing with this. Um, So generous, Carter. So generous of you. Um, I would just (laughs) say he's not cute, you know? Ganymede is supposed to be um, beautiful (laughs) in a very specific twinky way. I think he's giving like 2000s boy band haircut, skinny jeans, it looks like Justin Bieber in 2012. And I think that for a lot of people, they got confused um, because, like, understand, because, because a lot of people, you know, um, I would say projected their weird ideas about masculinity and youth and boyhood onto Justin Bieber in sort of strange ways that were bad and reflected a lot of toxic masculinity on their ends. But that, that didn't mean that Justin Bieber was like, um, was a fruit or like was giving mm. you um twink you know it just meant yeah. that th- there were like lots of ways to not conform with traditional masculinity and he was like kind of giving one of them but also like i feel like we all knew that he was like very heterosexual yeah carter kind of carter didn't ways. feel that this art was representing <laughs> an outfit that a real like young hot queer person would be wearing Certainly not in, like, yeah. the literary present of 2023 yeah. that we are experiencing this novel in, you know? But that's okay, um, because this isn't the fan art. This is, like, Loki the official art. But we'll get better fan art. We'll get better fan art. Yeah, that's true. Pack us in some fan art of Ganymede, guys. <laughs> that, you know, also, I'll be honest, I have not started the book yet. I picked it up. I held it in my arms. I stared at it. And then I ate dinner. And then I watched the book tour, and now I'm here. So I haven't read it yet. <laughs> But I'm really excited. I want to share some quotes because I did take notes during this event uh, via a live Twitter thread. Um, Quote, guys, after 15 books of Greek mythology, I'm into the deep cuts. Gorgons, minotaurs, that's all good. But can I tell you about my 
chickens? And then there was like a photo of chickens and snakes. So I believe that's yes. going to be very important, also based on the chapter it's titles. It's giving public domain um, photographs, yes, of chickens yes. and yes. snakes. Okay, we had the D23 RRP 23 presentation um, shortly after yeah. the uh, summary of the yeah. premise of the book. If you've been to a Rick book tour or you've heard us talk about them, it's it's like the same energy and the same organization of the PowerPoint um, yes. as these previous events, but we have gotten tacked on, you know, like a few yeah, some new additional stuff. RRP releases that we did yes. not previously know about. I cannot confirm or deny if these things were like floating in the ether before right now, but I can confirm that these are things that were added at least since the Sun and the Star book tour. Um, mm-hmm. Notably, there's a new RRP book coming out. I believe it was May 14th. I could check and see if that's Tuesday, but May of 2024, there is a Caribbean mythology book coming out, which is going to be really cool. Rick said it's very spooky. So um, it's YA like, too. It's YA horror. Yeah. Um, that sounds amazing. Um, I didn't catch the title. I didn't screenshot it fast enough, but I'm sure that information is available easily online. Um, and then, um, so if anybody read uh, Cursed Carnival, there's like a Celtic mythology story in there from Rick. And he said that he's working on expanding that story um, into a television show with a production company in Dublin. That's yeah, super there, cool. It is super cool. Yeah. He also, okay, wow. This is this is kind of like sidetracking, but I think that we need to talk about it. This, to me, was like the biggest revelation, which was that I think we've all had some sort of loose understanding about Rick's graduate education yes. at Harvard in Celtic mythology. And what he said, basically, was that he got into the PhD program. In Celtic Studies at Harvard. To, in Celtic Studies at Harvard, but did not complete it. And maybe didn't... I wasn't even clear if he... I don't know if he enrolled... any classes, but like... classes at a university in <clears throat> Ireland. I don't believe it was at Harvard. I... And, I do and, not quote me on this. He, like... He's not, he's not currently doing the grad degree, and he did not complete the grad degree because he basically decided that it was either going to be pursuing this graduate education or buckling down and doing the work to make sure that all of these different film Hollywood and TV projects. adaptation projects were going to be successful. And he chose the the film TV route. Like he wanted to be very invested in the Disney Plus series and the Kane Chronicles adaptation and the Daughter of the Deep and all these. Other, like he has a ton of projects and it makes yeah. sense that it would take up a lot of his time. But I just did, I feel like this whole time we've just been sort of speculating or a little bit unclear about what all went on with that but he framed it as being like it's like he was like i wanted to do what was best for for the readers like i think this is what the audience needed yeah he thought the quote right choice was to quote do what the fans wanted oh my god not i literally was like oh my god i'm feeling guilty right now yeah oh my god i'm asking so much of this man we are like children who like oh Are the reason why he, like, didn't pursue his dreams, you know? Oh, I am literally, yeah. I mean, I'm the reason my parents didn't pursue their dreams. What about you? Oh, yeah. No. Well, my Wait, father's going to listen is... to this. Hi. Um... <laughs> Hi, Mom. Um, thank you for sacrificing everything you did for me. And I appreciate it. Um, yeah. I did really enjoy growing up in Hawaii and not on the continent, which I'm not sure is a place, hus- like, suitable for, like, being a child, like, can children grow up on the continent of America yeah. is really anyone's guess. And I'm glad that I did not have to find out because my parents um, did jobs that they cared about less. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. That's, you know, at first I was like, wow, why am I so triggered by this? And then I was like, oh, it's because it's my real life guilt. <laughs> Except this is the reverse because Rick was like, instead of getting a grad degree, I'm going to do the arts. Well, it's the opposite. <laughs> I mean, it, it was like it was it, it was like both versions of it where he was like, yeah, that like I, get, I, I did less school so that I could do more art. But also like I, I like gave up my personal. Yeah, I gave up like one of my big personal ambitions. And he like said he was going to take a break from writing. That's I think what I also yeah. felt bad about. He was like, I was going to take a break from writing for a bit and go back to being a student. And he sounded really excited about it, too. Yeah. I would be really excited about it. Maybe and he's he like, can... at the age where, like, you know, like, retirement would be, like, a perfectly yeah. viable option for someone of his age, family status, financial status, you know? But he that's just, like, not... He's just chugging. Okay, honestly, should we jump from that to the probably the biggest news of the evening? Yeah, which obviously is that... the biggest news of the evening, which you probably have heard or seen. Pop emergency. Or something. Like, we were all confused emergency. about the whole three rec letters thing. And was that all going to be in this book or was it not all going to be in this book? And turns out it's not all going to be in this book. There's another oh, book coming out next September. It's called Percy Jackson and the Wrath of God. the Triple Goddess. Did I just get that right? I just did that off the cuff. I think that's correct. Let me and do we know who yes. do y'all do y'all remember who the triple goddess is? Oh, this it's freaking like Hecate. Pop quiz. It's Hecate. We were, learned about the triple goddess of it all in ooh, I believe House of Hades, right? When she is instructing Hazel in witchcraft, and she's like, oh "There's gosh. like three paths, four if you count going backwards, right?" Um, I also anyway. watched the. Oh wait, SAG. Never striking. Never mind. I'm not going <laughs> to mention it. I'm not going to mention it. AMPTP. It's time to come to the table in Hecate 29 does minutes. In other properties um, that we yes might have talked about if um we weren't yeah strong proponents Striking. of organized labor um, in 29 yeah. minutes the wga strike is over let's hope that sag is soon to follow yeah Fingers there's been negotiations this week shout out to that Literally we love that. To the incredible negotiations of the wga team i'm so yeah. impressed and just we we had a, <laughs> many text threads being like how how long is this going to last is there an end in sight like do we how could we but I, i'm like gag yeah, like this is like it's the longest strike in history, but it, for the WGA, right? But it's also like honestly, it could have gone for, on for a lot longer. I thought it was going to go on for longer. You they guys. did that shit. They wrapped that. They wrapped that up. Uh, okay. Um, yes. Anyway, we love you, writers. Um, we do love you, writers. We love you, Rick. <laughs> You're in the WGA, Rick. Um, so yeah, this book is next September, and it's the second rec letter, and yeah. which we can only assume. So we're assuming there's it's a, a third book the next year. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, Rick like, Rick, working. you can retire if you want to, my king. <laughs> but it seems like he's having fun. Um, and oh my god, was he having fun or what? Like moving at breakneck pace as always. Like the cover mm -hmm. is not ready yet. Um, <laughs> Rick really. Rick ordered a train to Espresserve at Mother Books tonight. I have to say. The amount and of screen grabs was caffeinated. Oh, he Rick chugged a Celsius. One. The energy he was on one. The energy was high. He 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 did voices. He answered a ton of questions. Oh, like okay, I, I th is there okay? We we should try to be organized and be like, is there any other formal set of announcements that we missed? I don't think so. I think there for are all some of announcements the other regarding things, things that we're not allowed to discuss due to AMPTP not meeting the demands of SAG after yet. There are Wait, really, is that even true? I feel like Rick mentioned a few things where he was like, the strike made it such that I don't know if I have things to announce. There were things he dropped during the Q&A section. Oh. 
Hello. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Right. Let's hope that's done oh, soon. Oh, shit. He really did. Oh, and those are fun announcements, too. Ah, oh, the fucking strikes. Fucking. Um, we should also mention <laughs> that the Q&A section was moderated by an author, um, Donna Barba. He Don, Donna Barba. He. Gera. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but she's a middle grade author. She was so funny. She was really giving, um, they were giving improv together. <laughs> okay. We will now. What can discuss, we say about Rick's Q&A? We will now discuss brief moments from the Q&A um, that we are allowed to talk about. <laughs> Rick, um, Rick, I'm just going to say he whipped out the gay voice. Can we say that on the internet? <laughs> I'll say it. I am quoted in multiple places on the internet talking about gay voice. We should clarify, I'm very pro-gay voice. I'm pro it both as, a, is this a phenomenon? Yes, it is. And then also pro, pro-normatively. pro Like, more people should have it. Uh, mm. It sounds good. It's comforting. Mm. Um, I'm even honestly, like, I think it is phenomenologically and emotionally good enough then I'm even okay with this phenomena that I'm starting to experience now that I'm pursuing a graduate degree where there are like full heterosexuals who like talk like this and like have people who are partners, but the partners are like, um, you know, like, um, heterosexual people of the um, opposite sex from them, you know, but just like the voice in and of itself is so strong and so powerful and so good and right. Where are we going with this? That Rick used the gay voice a lot. <laughs> I think like and we were seated. He was like describing Ganymede. Oh yeah, he did yeah. do it at the beginning when he was describing Ganymede. At the beginning, he did. He you know extended his like, trailing consonants. He um from a critical analysis perspective, I think you could argue that he was doing like a like a woman's voice. You know, like you could be like, oh well, he was doing the voice of like a girl who thinks Ganymede is cute, but like really wants the difference, right? If we really want to... I'm sorry. Literally, it was not. It was a gay voice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're, not, they're not the same thing. They're just truly... I'm just trying to find all just, angles. Uh, it's not just like a woman's voice, but like starting from a lower pitch. But from his they're POV, different. it might be the same. You know what I mean? I don't know. Okay. I, let me... We're I know not that it isn't the same. Here. You know, like... So, so true. I, I no have more no authorial idea running through that man's arguments. head. But... Let me tell you what he produced with his larynx. Yeah. And that was I'm really bad at that. The whole like stop <laughs> arguing over authorial intent, which is like the first thing that they teach you as like an English minor or major in college. <laughs> really, I'm doing that all the time. Thank you for calling me in on that one. Um, let's let's address some QA highlights in addition to the to the voice acting. Um, Rick, some fun things I thought were reveals. Um, somebody asked about the blue food. And like, what was your version of blue food? Like, did you eat blue food all the time? And Rick was like, no, fun fact. For me, it was orange. The reason the Camp Half-Blood shirts are orange are because he just like has an orange thing. He loves orange stuff, orange food. Fascinating. And he didn't mean it in like a food dye sense either necessarily. He told the story about how he's like in stressful moments, he happens to be eating or procures for himself food that exists in the wild as like in the color orange. Mm-hmm. Which I found to be a very interesting story, um, yeah. very rich, very um, like deeply quirky. Oh, um, <laughs> the quirkiness was on full display tonight. Oh yeah, he he was going for it. There That's was some quirky. Voice, there were a lot of uncle. voice cracks, and I really strongly <laughs> support that. That you're um, never too old for a good, uh, endearing, humanizing voice crack. 
This is what I also for us today. I thought this was a fun reveal. Somebody asked about any cutscenes. Rick said that there was a cutscene oh, yeah. in the last Olympian during the Battle of Manhattan, where Percy and Grover are running around when everyone's asleep, and they run into the sleeping body of Nancy Boba Fett, all the way back from Yancey Academy, early days of the Lightning Thief, and uh, Grover's like, "Should we?" Draw a mustache on Drawing her. her face, yeah. <laughs> and Rick said it demonstrated a lot of character growth because Percy said, no, let's like drag her to safety. Um, and they ended up cutting it because him and Stephanie decided it just didn't, you know, necessarily work with the pacing and everything. I um, completely understand pacing reasons. W- like, I think they made the right choice for the pacing in the Battle of the... And sorry, in The Last Olympian. That being said, as soon as he said that, I was like, I 100% understand what he was thinking. You know, like... It's so, I, I genuinely think it's very weird that we have not seen Nancy in the canonical text since The Lightning Thief. I was just talking to like, somebody I else about to this. I assume that she's going to show back up somewhere in this trilogy that he's bringing us back to, right? She's destined like, to. Wise, this has, like, this is the correct pacing. I wouldn't um, be surprised if she shows up in The Chalice of the Gods. If it turns, like, Okay. Do we, okay, there's two versions for this to go, right? Version one is that Nancy actually has been, like, a powerful person like in touch with the world of mythology this whole time version two is just that she is um you know like another person applying to college but it's way easier for her because she's like rich mm-hmm. um, i think it's important to acknowledge in the best safest way we can that like rick was literally writing this book and he mentioned this tonight rick was writing this book at the same time that he was writing and working on projects that we're not allowed to discuss um yeah. due to the SAG after strike. And so I think that there are a lot of co-influences and certain characters from yeah. the Lightning Thief may have made cameos in this book because they were like fresh and top of his mind. She's strategic. And also, as he said, his memory is not <laughs> he doesn't necessarily have like a full, like every character he's written mm-hmm. in his like 20 million books is top of mind all the time. I think it was very telling that he mentioned mm-hmm. Nancy Beaufort, and I have to imagine that we'll be seeing her again. And this book is literally right? dedicated to Walker, Leah, and Arian. Three, three fine young people who we have heard of and support. Yes. In their endeavors. In their endeavors. Um, <laughs> let's get to the negotiating table. Um, <laughs> anything else that you, you highlighted, Carter? The 23 and me question. The 23 and me question was very funny. Um, I have to, okay, we're, we're going to do a 20-second um, I took an STS class segue, which is to say that DNA testing... What does testing, STS stand for? Catch our listeners science, up and buy our listeners technology on studies. Um, oh my god, STEM? Like, critical social science interdisciplinary approaches to understanding the sciences and the construction of scientific fact, because... I just want everyone to know I'm tuning out of Carter right now. If you tune out, it's okay, too. <laughs> hey, 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 no, this is important. Um... The spark notes of it is that 23andMe is, like, kind of dubious. And you should not think of this as, like, the culmination of full empirical and equitable science. You know? Like, the idea of DNA testing of humans to trace ancestry is very fraught. Um, And something that carries with it large historical baggages about, um, like, race as a biological construct, which, of course, it is not. Race is a social construct that we constantly redefine. Um, You know, like, genetic similarity is not something that really tracks that closely with what we understand race to be. be 
in large part because race is also changing. And like the definitions that we have for race in America in 2023 are not the same definitions that we had 100 years ago. So like, why would we expect DNA to be able to tell us that much about race? We wouldn't and we shouldn't. And many people don't. And I encourage you to not. Um, where am I going with this? That ancestry testing is very fraught. And especially because of the way it exists as a commercial industry that is trying to exploit and profit off of um, ideas about biological race. And in general, the idea of like genetic hyperdeterminism. I think we need to be very skeptical about that. Um, and in general, when somebody says something and it sounds sciencey, like the, the, the like the <laughs> hyper hyper spark notes to STS is like when somebody tells you that it's because of science, you need to pause and give that a beat and be like, wait, science is people. Science is people who exist under incentives and mm, organizations mm -hmm. and social structures and you know, like empirics are not exhaustive and they're mediated by humans and that by like facts about the way that people work are mediated by people and the way that people must be situated as they are thinking about these facts. Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> okay. I that listened. was not super well articulated. No, I loved it. I think you it, taught me I feel as like usual. If you are somebody who is like, I don't care about the sciences. This is, this should be thrilling to you. This is your way of being like, scientists also make mistakes. And if a scientist says something that you don't 100% follow, like that doesn't necessarily mean that they're right. And that maybe it's an opp opportunity for you to engage in a conversation about nuances that might be involved in the sciences. Yes. There you go. And limitations of scientific authority. Anyway, where are we going? Anyway, the uh, demigods don't have DNA. DNA. The demigods don't have DNA. Rick did not have a good answer for what would happen when they take um, a 23andMe test. And the answer that I would like to posit is that they would not because um, they don't believe in that. Yeah, um. <laughs> definitely. Sally would be like, Percy, you don't need to be doing that. Trust me, science <laughs> is just people. People with incentives. Those are straight out of Sally's mouth. Science is also uh, good. Though, as yeah. reiterating from last week's episode, science is good and I believe in it. I think we, well, okay, well, yes. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> shout out to my like former roommate who's like an actual sts person and would be able to give a much more beautiful articulation of all of those things and has literally been published kelsey? in vox which is the dream of my life um Wait, yeah kelsey published in... <gasps> kelsey's kelsey published literally in has a byline in vox oh my god she's Aren't you so gagged? she literally is slay like, queening a little bit and i was like kelsey Ke wow <laughs> an icon living all of my dreams at once do you know That's what i mean um trade to esper servant mother books right there it literally is. Yeah. Shout out okay. to her. <laughs> Did I highlight anything else? Just that Rick what said that talking about? Oh, early Apollo was his this. least favorite POV. Yes. He's, oh, yeah. He said that writing Apollo was difficult in the beginning. He did also, I think there was a very, I don't want to say, like, I don't think we learned necessarily things in this conversation, but he talked, there was a question about Nico and fan reception. And he told um, a, do we call this a story? He revealed things about that process that he had not, I think, revealed before or were new to me, at least, where basically he said that some people had written him and said that they like took a break from his books for years because they were not okay with Nico's open and clear identification as like, well, okay, when I say open and clear identification, like they didn't give Nico a label until literally this calendar year but you know like <laughs> unambiguous non-heterosexuality 
like he got a letter saying from somebody saying like that really troubled them and they stopped reading his books for many years and then they came back around and Nico ended up serving as an important story and prism through which to relate to and understand and accept queer people in their real lives. Yeah. I just found that very powerful. Like I, like when Rick told, I I think that the discourse around Nico is always very complicated and people have a lot of emotions about it. Mm -hmm. And that frequently gets reduced to people asking this question about original intent or about commercialism and um i just think fundamentally it's like not the most interesting and it's not the right discussion to have like when did rick think decide this about nico like who benefits from this i to me like he he, like the other piece of this was that he also was like i came to see things in nico that i saw in my students when i was a middle school teacher yeah um which was another he said, like, he was like, he... I taught all kinds of students. Like, I was a teacher for a long yeah. time. There were tons yeah. of LGBTQ students. There were students of all kinds with all kinds of experiences. Yeah. That really moved me very deeply. To, because, like, you know. I forget about the middle school he teachers. was a teacher. And we forget yeah. the fact that he was a middle school teacher. We're like, yeah. Like, oh, and my we, God. I mean, we literally spent, like, all of last week's episode praising some of our favorite <laughs> teachers. Like, you, like, we are suckers for our teachers. Yeah. It just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Remembering Rick's experiences. Yeah. I really, yeah. That I, I think that the way that he framed it for me was so useful and clarifying to just say, like, ultimately, Nico's story was, was the correct one. And it was what revealed itself and that his personal way into it was as somebody who had, you know, seen and been there for a lot of like queer children who are yeah. struggling because lest we forget rick also like when he was a middle school teacher he was a middle school teacher in um texas before 2004 you know um mm-hmm. can only imagine wow yeah. um <laughs> wow any any other fi- that was kind of everything i had should we close off on that note do you have any other final mentions and tidbits he mentioned signing someone's Costco receipt, which I think is like a really, truly, like genuinely phenomenal anecdote that I'm going to think about for a long time. Espresso. Um, um He said that the monster that he would identify with the most strongly is a Gorgon and then had to pause. Yes. And then he paused and he was like, wait, I think all the Gorgons are female, but I don't know. <laughs> also, that was. An espresso, a Trenta espresso from Mother Bob. It was, it was. Like, did he tuck his hair behind his ear? I don't know, but I think I imagined he did. He, like, changed his, like, head tilt angle as he was saying it. I was like, oh, work. Okay. Uh-huh. I felt like such a stalker taking screenshots whenever he made a silly face. <laughs> like, someone needs to use this as a meme. Um, he shouted out Earthsea. Yes, for me, Ursula. That was a gag, Ursula. He talked again about Lord of the Rings, which is Ghibli. something he's talked about a lot. Yes, no, okay, it was in the context of Lord of the Rings. He was like, I haven't actually reread, the- I have not read those books in 30-something years. But he also, wait, okay, this was actually genuinely very interesting to me. He, like, did this whole tangent about, like, the family history of dyslexia and how his, like, father, right? 
was dyslexic and how he also he was like I don't think I'm dyslexic I've never had the diagnosis but I really struggled to read books and so for me in my childhood the Lord of the Rings was like very very important because it was one of the first books I read that even though I struggled through it I really enjoyed and it made it worthwhile and that, that was a lasting memory I I I really enjoyed that story. And then he also, mm-hmm. like, for the first, like, I've never heard him cite that many influences outside of Lord of the Rings. So that was very delightful to hear that one of them was Earthsea, yeah. which is iconic. Yeah. Um, maybe that is it. Scrolling through your notes. Yeah. I think so. He said something about Orpheus. Oh, Did he we- said, yeah. He said, this was a shocker. He said, he's surprised that he's never written about Orpheus before. And we were like, oh. And we were like, girl, us we- too. Girl, girl. Girl, Nico and Will walked single file through the underworld. I think he wrote about Orpheus. Um, but he said that that would be the character that he wants to write about that he hasn't written about because it's so devastating that, um, yeah. you know, he had the power of music that could, like, move Hades and then at the very last second, and you know, he loses headed. the love of his life. I think in general, like, this was – if. If you can, if you know, if there's a way for you to access this recording, I don't know if they're going to publicize it or if like they're going to let people retroactively purchase it available. or something. Yeah, I'm not totally sure. I found but we'll this the link. to be a super cool event. Like he did like a oh, whole it was long do you remember? too. He was like going off about any number of things. He did this whole speech in the middle about like his about about like his take on Shakespeare. And yeah. Like. The way that Macbeth tension. marries comedy and tragedy. Yes, comedy and tension and tragedy. I was oh. really there for it. He, he lots gave of us advice like for writers. Lots of intellectual deep citations that yeah were very interesting. Yeah. All in all, that's my uncle. Yeah. That's my I don't uncle. Know who if this honestly ordered made me an espresso prepared to read the book. <laughs> oh my gosh, we have to read the book. I can't believe we haven't even read the book yet. I'm exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted. And I, I have to Wait, say... Wait, when are we recording? We're recording like in Friday. two days or something, right? We're recording Friday. on Friday. We're recording well, on Friday okay. we can read, with Aaron like, from Camp Hat Pod. A handful of chapters in three days. We're I think we're just going to do the first uh, chapter on Friday. Okay. Just to give okay. us and everybody else some time. Um, that being said, everybody I know who has reached out to me, our friends, our fellow podcasters, um, have said that this book is like so 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 good and that like rick is like in his bag and that it's so special to return to these characters and just say like he's so he's so energetic and it just feels so right and so special so i'm excited to start it probably tomorrow (laughs) okay we'll be back i'm very excited for the book yay we'll be back next week um probably just chapter one but please stay tuned follow us on our socials um that's where we do updates on all of the things so at seaweed brain podcast on instagram at seaweed brain pod on twitter um if you want to keep up with updates on what chapters we're reading because it'll probably be pretty last minute for this season of the podcast (laughs) yay happy chalice of the gods release day everybody seven minutes until the wga strike is over All right, good night, y'all. Bye.